What's going on, everybody? This is your host, BJ Parker, and this is the Making the Turn Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is Making the Turn, and I am your host, BJ Parker, and we appreciate you joining us. And um, if this is the first time you've been listening, thanks for listening in. Um, And uh, if it's not, um, and you've heard this before, I appreciate you listening, and be sure that you uh, spread the love and uh, share, rate, go subscribe, and uh, it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all your podcast platforms. So, we're back, and uh, I've got a special guest. We're going to take a little bit of a turn in a in a, in a different direction, but still keeping in with the industry standard. And um, got a um, guy who runs a local uh, business here in Middle Tennessee. He's a supporter of our industry, and I appreciate him joining me today. Mr. Paul Smith, President Sigma Organics. How you doing? I'm doing great, BJ. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, doing this. Um, like I told you before we came on this was the first time i've ever been to the warehouse that's kind of crazy i've been in this area for a long time and um you should be ashamed i should I, I don't know i don't know why i would probably ever be here i would probably just order and have you deliver it but uh but uh it's great to see i was impressed um how many square footage do you have here Sixty thousand. Sixty thousand. and uh do you have a like a uh i mean we'll get into a little bit more of this but uh do you do you have someone who manages all that, like an individual or a team of people, or how's that work? No, I have absolutely have a uh, warehouse manager, uh, Randall Frith, and he is absolutely a rock star when it comes to keeping the place squared away and tight, clean. Uh, it keeps things well managed. He just does a fantastic job. Well, that's what I noticed. It was it was uh, super clean out there. I mean, that's always something that I always instilled in wherever I was at as a superintendent or wherever is the cleanliness. And I was very impressed with that. It was very nice. He's key. Yeah. Well, so for those people, I always ask, I kind of go down this road, but um, for those people that are in our industry or maybe listening or not from this area, because we get a lot of people that listen kind of outside of our area, kind of give a little bit about yourself, kind of your background. How did, how did you become president of Sigma Organics and sort of, I I'll interrupt you along the way. It could be a long story, but and we might have questions. But I just, I don't, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time around you, so I'd love to hear it. But just tell me a little bit about yourself. So I came out of college and went to work for my father, uh, who was a mechanical contractor, predominantly overseas in the Middle East. And I went to work for him over there managing sewage treatment plants and we took the effluent water from the sewage treatment plants and grew date trees that was kind of my pet project or a side project that I did which got me into agronomy if you if you want to call it that but um, the effluent water from those plants grew really remarkable healthy uh, plants and so we took that technology and brought it back home and used it the same we called it affectionately bugs in a jug yeah. to grow uh golf course greens and uh we, we were awarded a contract with club corp and that was in uh 1986 uh to use that effluent water concept uh on their greens program it was a unmitigated failure because we we tried to dictate <laughs> from management down to the superintendents on how they were going to maintain their greens and so that was a less a life lesson um but from that we evolved uh into other nutrients and uh needs to to sell into the golf course industry sure so that's how i got uh introduced into this specific industry uh it was not anything that i studied for or uh had even a concept that i wanted to be in but uh 
I've cut a lot of the corners on what I just told you on right. how I got here. But right. generally speaking, that's where it all originated. So can you talk a little bit about the time, the the process over in the Middle East? Is, I mean, I, that seems like it would be a pretty interesting little story about about all that. Well, no, I, well, we were mechanical um, contractors, and so what part of the Middle East were you? In Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. And so we uh, we were. In, I was in Riyadh, and we worked on hospitals, uh, airports, uh, built ice cream uh, plant and an ice cream warehouse. Did a lot of work for John Deere. Uh, and uh, a lot of work for pipe and center pivot uh, manufacturers. Uh, so that was the main projects that I was personally involved with. Um, yeah, so just simple mechanical, you know, heating and air, plumbing, yeah. those things. What was it like living over there? Did you live over there? Or did you come? Yeah, I did. I mean, that, that's a, that's a little... Time. I mean, that's a lot more common these days for people to kind of go international and do things overseas with their business. But back, would you say, early 80s? or I mean, that that's a little little different, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, my father was there. Uh, he started over there in uh, 55 or 56. Um, he actually created uh, or actually built the first – Riyadh International Airport, or was a part of the yeah. the building of that, and so he was exposed to it for most of his adult life, and he kind of uh, gave or passed along that same uh, international attitude uh, to all the family members. Sure. Uh, my brother spent, uh, I think he spent eighteen years in Riyadh. Uh, and in the Middle East working for my father's company uh, and sisters and, and uh, have also been involved with uh, the company. Right. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, and Lisa and Melanie are still integral parts of, of Sigma. And Sigma, uh, my father's company was called Mechanical uh, MSI, uh, Mechanical Systems Incorporated. And Sigma was actually a disc company that he used to buy uh, products and equipment from the United States tax-free right. and ship it overseas. I just took his name because it was already a formed company and created my bottling company to sell bugs in a jug right. to golf courses. So that's where the name Sigma came from. Sigma's Greek for sister company, so I'm boring you with a little bit of that. No, that's interesting. I mean, a lot of not, people wouldn't know that, and uh, and so that's uh, so being international thinkers it was all uh, brought on by my father's experiences and and his knowledge. Do you still do any work or anything over in the Middle East? <laughs> I have. Uh, Funny, yeah, people call me uh, odd duck people that we've done projects for, uh, mostly uh, now in the Far East that uh, on occasion need pieces of equipment or, you know, some some of the old knowledge that we retained yeah. from, from projects that we did. They'll, they will. They'll call out from outer space, and it's always fun <laughs> to listen to them. So, um, so that brought you to... That that experience brought you to where you are now. Um, created Sigma and and are a huge supporter of our industry, and you guys do a lot for. I know our local chapters and different things. Uh, how what how would you say? What are some of the things that kind of set you guys apart? What is something that you really feel like is something that you guys do that um, you know people would gravitate towards Sigma for? Yeah, Sigma. Uh we are the, the crazy people that go out and try new and different things and bring it, try to bring it to the, to the market uh, effectively and efficiently. And uh, we've had some marginal success with sure. uh, some chemistries, uh, and we continue to, to grow um, new technologies we feel are uh, important to our industry and to keep things uh, moving in the right direction, I right. guess, is the way to... Uh, efficiency, uh, the environmental impact is becoming a bigger and bigger uh, problem, in my opinion, for 
our industry. Uh, and I hope I don't offend anybody with, with the greenie meanies causing a lot of irrational thinking to go on in the public. It's limiting our ability to do our job properly. And people that don't know uh, how to properly use or the function of chemistry um, just should not be legislating or dictating to the professionals how to manage our environment. And uh, turf is a very important part of our environment. Yeah. I, I would lo- – I would – I'm – I've never really gone down a tough subject in this podcast, and <laughs> I won't. But I would like to take a 30,000 – because you're a business owner, and, and it could impact you. And there's been news in the – that I know you've seen about the glyphosate and the trouble that we're having in our industry with that. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, and do you have any, uh, you know, we don't have to say who's right or wrong here. I, I tend to agree with you that, that there's a lot of misinformation about that and about the uses and, and the, the way it's applied and different things. But I would love to hear your, how's it affecting you and your business? What are your thoughts about it? Um, and, you know, for those that are listening, maybe uh, maybe I open them some eyes to some different perspective. Well, let me start by saying I'm very grateful that these environmental uh, uh, impacts have not come home yet to Tennessee. We've been uh, fairly well isolated, and most of the problems uh, originate on the coasts of the country, you know, mainly in California where glyphosate seems to be ringing everybody's bell. Um, And I have a theory with uh, glyphosate uh, in the fact that it was never an issue until they started spraying it over the top of plants. And when they made Roundup Ready uh, crops, that's when the the chemical became uh, traceable in uh, the food supply. So there may be some uh, issue with the, with the product being uh, on uh, the plants uh, or the, the products that we eat. Um, however, as a, um, as a ground applied or applied to the weeds only uh, or for a burn down, let's just say, uh, and not an over-the-top application, glyphosate is an absolute uh benefit to the world uh, sure. to feed the the world so it's a chemistry that cannot be or should not be wholeheartedly eliminated from the process uh we may need to modify some of those uh uses meaning over the top applications i don't know that that's a problem you know it may not be a problem at all but it sure has been around for a long time and it sure has fed a tremendous number of people and made all of the uh, crop producers more efficient uh, at what they do, which I think is a big part of what makes the world grow and become more prosperous uh, and bring, brings people out of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, there are other chemicals that have yeah. uh, negative impacts. They've been fairly well eliminated from the marketplace. Um, so, uh, Chemistry is here, and it needs to stay here, and it needs to be uh, a key part of our future. Uh, We can't survive, in my opinion, um, all becoming dirt people. I mean, it's just not going to happen. We can't feed the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I I just want to – there may be some people that aren't familiar with Roundup Ready, but I want to just explain a little bit about that and and what that does to – or what, what that basically is is that we have crops that are allowed that are sort of resistant to the to being uh, affected by the application of Roundup or the or the active ingredient glyphosate and they can spray that over the field and and manage the weeds and and so I, some people may not really understand that that's what you're referring to is where we're spraying corn soybean all these different products that are used for manufacturing and making food and there is a, a, a some versions of those uh, crops that are Roundup Ready, or I, they call them that, but it's it's really more of the, the active ingredient. But glyphosate. It's the other thing about that specific chemistry. Um, it is the single largest 
chemistry sold in all of agriculture, uh, glyphosate. And once it goes into the ground, to the best of my knowledge, it is not taken up by the plant and it becomes inert. Yep. So in other words, it becomes non-existent and the soil degrades it to zero, takes it back to environmental uh, cleanly cleanliness. So uh, it's only when they apply it to the actual crop that you're eating or that would go be consumed by an animal, sure. uh, in my opinion, and that's for what it's worth. That's all it is. I an think, opinion. yeah, I, I, well, that's, that's great. That's, uh, I think some of it too is the fear of the exposure to applicators and how they're overexposed to it. Is, is that, you know, I don't know where they're, I don't, I don't study it enough to exactly know, but I, but from the lawsuit that I heard, that may be an overexposure lawsuit as opposed to something other than that. But you, you again, I'm, I'm not a scientist yeah. nor a lawyer, but uh, it's been around for a very, very long time. And uh, under normal conditions and using it as prescribed, I see no way in the world that you could expose yourself to enough of that chemistry to create the condition that this guy is claiming. Yeah. And so I hope that was political speak enough to say, I think it's horse hockey. Well, we, we, we could go viral with this one, but who knows? <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I tend to agree. I, I think the biggest message is, is that we're not loud enough. The guys in the profession that are certified, that do the things properly, that take all the precautions and and one whistleblower or one squeaky wheel can get a lot of things going in the wrong direction, and we just have to be bigger voices. And I know that our national our national organizations, our state, local chapters, they do a lot of uh, you know of good due diligence in trying to get that ahead of state senates, you know, houses of representative, you know, just the Congress in general, uh, the politicians. But I mean, it can go in a hurry. If the if the wrong information gets out there, and and so it, that's that's the thing for me is we got to keep being louder, and and maybe maybe somebody hears this podcast and says, let's trust the professionals and the people that are doing it, and talk to them about what's important. I think one of the big things that we could do, and this is going way off on a tangent. However, <laughs> um, you want to solve these issues? Uh, let's get some tort reform on lawyers and let's that will cure a lot of the ailments because 99% of this glyphosate uh, problem is driven by lawyers who are going to make a tremendous amount of money oh. and it is that is going to it, we need to solve that tort problem so we're not going to let's not go down tort law problems. Sure. But, uh, uh, well, I wouldn't be able to speak about it much. <laughs> being a business owner yeah. and understanding the the day to day risk that we have to undergo because lawyers are out looking to take advantage of every single potential problem that is out there uh, to for their financial benefit makes life very difficult yeah. uh, in the business world and. I don't want to get on to all lawyers' problems, but that's another issue that comes down the uh, hits home very quickly in our industry. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of things people are using heavy equipment. They're exposed to sunlight. They're uh, lifting heavy weights. They're, they're you know all of the things that are normally uh, activities that have to be performed to keep the environment nice and livable require exposure to dangers and sure. those dangers uh, are being taken advantage of by my opinion the legal system uh, uh, and I think they do it wrongly I think they do it uh, for their own personal gain and not necessarily to to benefit mankind and to make it really safer yeah I, I, I really appreciate your opinion on that because I, I think from a business owner's perspective you you uh you have a different angle that you know it, it impacts you from a business standpoint if there certain laws restrictions different different difficulties come your way I mean we'll just adjust we'll just go figure something else out but that could severely impact your 
revenue stream, your bottom line in, in a lot of ways, and, and or if you're caught up in litigation and a lot of different things. And So I appreciate your, uh, your candor on that, and I think a lot of people that listen to this will understand where you're coming from. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk more more pleasant things sure. now. <laughs> well, so outside of that as a as a business owner, what are some of the thing what are some of the unique challenges that you see uh that you like fight on a daily basis? Is it labor? Is it finding the right, you know, you just talk a little bit about just being a business owner in the green industry. A lot of the, our our local market and this industry is 100% built upon relationships with the buyer, um, and you have to have a close relationship with your customer base in our industry because it is a very unique and um, every instance is different. Uh, there's so many different uh, complexities that go into growing turf properly or efficiently and I'm talking specifically to golf sure but we also take care of a lot of lawn care and landscape companies um, as well and creating those products that match their needs so that they can be more efficient and more profitable and service their customers properly um, all of those things are both a blessing and uh, they are the challenges that we face because you have to have a an intimate knowledge of the resources of your customer, uh, the ability of, of your customers to to fulfill their contracts into the future, and you have to bring that to your um, your sales force so that the sales force can can tailor a a a program that matches that customer's needs. And uh, therefore, you got to have an intimate knowledge of them. And with that knowledge uh, and, and that relation building, when you, the biggest challenge I have is once you've taught them the, your your sales force that process, and you have that relation, um, it makes them valuable to the marketplace. And so we do have some people that hire away uh, and take uh, that knowledge and and those things and. Um, uh, you know, kind of buy it out, out away from us. Sure. So we're constantly uh, training up uh, our sales force. And I've got a, a really good sales force. We're building a new sales force here at uh, Sigma. Um, I like to talk about that a little bit. Sure. With, um, my, the long-term uh, relationship that I've had with uh, a salesman for Sigma, Joe Galbraith, very knowledgeable, extremely uh, love Joe. Joe is one of those guys that uh, he he's a servant to. He I think he market. acted like your um, agent. He wanted you on this podcast. I was thinking <laughs> you were paying him or something. But <laughs> shout out to Joe. I love him. Yeah, uh, but Joe's been with me the longest and uh, just tremendously loyal and, and a really good friend. Uh, and he's helped uh, a lot of people in this market and industry sure. um, in ways that have nothing to do with lawn and and, and grass growing. Uh, and, and then, you know, the other sales force people um, uh, that we have, you know, Steve uh, in the back, he's been at the counter for now three years, uh, very knowledgeable, very quiet uh, individual. Uh, he is uh, a lot more, lot smarter than he lets on to be. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Greg Johns. Greg is a uh, rec, uh, rock star. I think he's been on your show. Sure. Um, he is a true salesman and is out there to help uh, his his customers in any way that he possibly can. And he's just a I think he's on the clock twenty four seven mentally. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if he turns it off. To be it, honest with you. Yeah. So um, having those type people uh, dedicated and working for you and with you uh, just makes life a lot easier um, for a guy that owns the company. Yeah. Um, we've got new blood that's uh, coming in. Uh, come in the door. Uh, a guy named Richard. Uh, Ertz, he is a um, 
young and up and coming sales uh, salesman, and then uh, we just hired uh, an old uh, uh, Nashvilleian, Rusty McClendon. He, he's oh, come on board. Really? Yeah. A uh, bit of a a news flash. Um, he's he'll start today. Actually, is his first day, and uh, he's going to evolve into. Um, a sales manager uh, of sort. He's going to help and be a good liaison between our really cool and efficient office staff um, and the inner working of the office. The ladies that uh, support the sales force sure. are uh, are fantastic. Um, that's and I'm going to do a little bit of a pitch on that, and I'll do it quick. My yeah. sister uh, Lisa, who's been with me since dirt. Uh, has grown the company with me ever since the very beginning. I actually worked with my father. Um, my now, sister, did your father actually start this? or did No. You, you? Uh, I started, well, actually, I bottled on behalf of one of his of, of associates. Okay. And so he always had me dealing with this issue, with, with the bottling and putting the stuff together. Right. Um, so he never uh, owned or was a was a... Uh, investor, if you will, in the Sigma Organics. Uh, my sister and I basically broke off and did that as a separate, uh, as we were winding down the contracting business, um, as he was going into retirement years, we broke off and did this. Sure. Um, spoke about Randall. Efren, our delivery guy, he's phenomenal. Um, and then when you've got Mary Karn and then my sister Melanie, who... Uh, take care of logistics and buying and selling. And then Katie, who is my niece, she does uh, billing and receivables. So, uh, True family business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of rounds out. I hope I didn't forget anybody. I don't think I did. Um, and then again, my brother, Roger, owns uh, and manages Chilton's uh, air-cooled engine company, which is a local uh, lawnmower uh, equipment, uh, air-cooled motor uh, company. So that's it. That rounds out the entire force uh, with us, except our guys up in Louisville. Don't want to leave him, Stephen West. Um, He's uh, managing and and running that show up in Louisville for us. That was going to be my next question is is your – this is your only location, but you do you do have one in Louisville. So That's right. So yes, we have a warehouse yep. uh, in Louisville. It's much smaller. I think it's around uh, eighteen hundred square feet. Are is it plans to just stay locally, or do you look to maybe add? I mean, is that <laughs> something in your future thoughts or? Um, yeah, we. You do. don't have to spill the beans. I'm no, just, there's you know. no beans to spill. Yeah. Um, some time ago, I had a a a, uh, a health issue that made me think of how the the company was going to move on, and I looked around the room at all the family members, and <laughs> none of them threw their hand up and volunteered to take over. So we really don't have a um, what you would call a, a succession plan in place. I've got some ideas. I've got some people that we're courting um, that have courted us. Uh, and so we're just kind of playing that close, you know, right now, no intention of doing anything in the near future, but this new team that we're building, I'm hoping will, will kind of evolve and take over, um, from, from where we are now. Well, you got some really good rock stars. I know, um, I know Joe well, I know Greg, I've known Greg. He was probably one of the first individuals I met. He worked for dickens maybe long way back in the day when i first started at um the golf club of tennessee and we've we've been i mean as close of friends as anybody i've had in this industry and and in general really but greg and then and then i've known rusty he was we we've gotten to know each other pretty well and then he moved he's kind of shuffled around so it's great to have him back in the market so welcome back rusty rusty is going to be a really good uh team member and it's going to be a lot of fun he's yeah. going to bring a lot of energy into this building a building an all-star team here so what's yeah. the what's the day in the life like for you what is sort of the how what do you do and sort of to put a bow on everything around here 
is you got to you just kind of <laughs> manage people do you uh you know fight fires what is it what is it that you that sort of defines your day so um i've had to come back and do a lot more day-to-day stuff than i have in in the prior year and a half or two years i was when again when the economy for the golf business went south um sigma had to adapt and we did so by focusing our attention into the lawn care industry also i uh and in so doing we came we developed some new uh unique uh fertilizer sure uh nitrogen source it's a um, and we sell that in a in our products, summer green and winter green, and it's very it's an inexpensive way for a lawn care operator to um, to work uh, and to fertilize and to keep their 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 green their grass green. But I've developed it as a response to a company called Holganics. Um, Holganics uh, is a bugs in a jug, sure, and I've got a pretty good background on that concept of how to manage it well my experience from past uh told me that putting bacteria down in the ground is virtually in in my opinion a waste of time and i have a long story that could tell you why that is but simply put i think that the inputs that you add to the soil uh are more influential influential on the the health and the bacteria in the soil than actually throwing bacteria on the ground. So um, that fertilizer that we created oxygenates the soil, which gives you aerobic bacteria, uh, a, 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 flu- a flush of aerobic bacteria growth, which are the ones that are healthy to uh, my, uh, mineralization and uh, protein development by a plant. I can get too scientific or whatever, but that helps uh, with, uh, and so fundamentally adding oxygen to the equation makes everything in the soil much more efficient. Sure. And this chemistry that we have developed um, does that. And we're being, we're, we're have become quite successful and are selling quite a bit of it in the lawn care and landscape industry. Uh, so that's what I've been focusing my attention on the past. When right. I come in on sure. a daily basis, I, I'm really looking, how do I keep, get, get this innovative uh, concept, which came from, coincidentally, the sewage industry. Right. Um, so I use a lot of my prior background to bring new products to the marketplace. Um, that's kind of what I like to do on a daily basis. Recently, because of... Uh, personnel turnover i've had to do a little bit more management day-to-day type of activities but now with this new team that we're building i'm going to get back out and continue my uh, my exposure to the agricultural industry and other markets with uh with this new technology is that something that one how difficult is it to get say a product from sort of inception to in a in a jug for sale and two is that something you just learned over time or like i know you you've sort of worked in that industry of getting things organically um so, you know beneficial for the plant and trying to um, mass produce that how does that pro- whole process work for you as far as say taking an idea and then getting it ready for sale well developing the idea requires a tremendous amount of cross industry reading i read a lot on in the i keep my my mind um, open to many other industries, such as, uh, believe it or not, uh, road construction, sure. um, because they have soil stabilization issues that are involved in that. Um, the agricultural uh, dairy production, they have a tremendous um, uh, dairy and pig, chickens, that all of that is a concentration of waste that has to be taken care of. And so, the remediation process that you have to go through to take care of those concentrated waste streams. Um, and then uh, the, the sewage treatment industry, um, keeping focused on the, the new innovations that are available in that 
market, bringing those things back to um, uh, in, into our turf industry. For example, um, XMO, which is a chemistry, which is a, a very high concentration of hydrogen, that's a product that we brought to market, um, and that came out of the concrete industry. Uh, they use it for ready-mixed concrete trucks to clean them because it has zero, it has a zero pH, but it's also safe for humans and animals and equipment. It has no corrosive effect um, on your skin or on uh, any metal or plastic, which makes it very safe for the environment and very effective as a um, as a uh, biocarbonate. Uh, breaks down biocarbonates which are harsh uh, to the water supply or to your plant when it's put in the water supply. Let's you use um, re remediation water to irrigate without causing the, the negative effects. So those that's, that's how I present those things. Sure. Bring them into the market. The actual act of bringing them in, sometimes it's very difficult. Um, even though uh, Eczema is seriously you know, two ingredients, um, uh, an amino acid and hydrogen. Um, we have a hard time getting it registered, and we've had a difficult time. We are now registered in California and Oregon. Uh, but even to this day, we are not registered in Arkansas or Wisconsin because um, they don't understand or don't want to understand the chemistry uh, without knowing the full formulation, which is not going to happen. We're not going to give away um, formulas. Um, yeah. So to protect such a small market, so that's just, uh, but those um, regulations and getting uh, label uh, OKs uh, from different states, is it is difficult. Um, more simple with a with a fertilizer that claims nitrogen as its primary element. So that's a very simple uh, yeah. process. So the wintergreen, summergreen um, has that ability to just say, "I'm a nitrogen fertilizer. Let me let me through." And so we we pass regulations fairly easy. Is that something you have to do on a regular basis, as far as the products is, uh, or is that once it's sort of passed, you're good to go? Um, generally, if you don't change the formulation, you're yeah. good to go. You have to. You have to report how much you've used or how much is sold, so right. that they can, you know, tax that and, and collect their taxes and things. But it's a, you know, label laws are the, and it's there for the right reasons. It's there sure. to protect the consumer and all those things. Make sure people don't sell, you know, snake oil, as they like to say. Yeah, I've heard that term many a times. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm going to say something really quick. Yeah, just this year, the beginning. It was actually December of. 2018, the federal government just recognized that seaweed and its component products are actually uh, have a, a beneficial effect on plants, and therefore it can be labeled as a plant beneficiary or, or uh, beneficial to plants. Which, it, how long we've we been using seaweed in the industry? Oh, 20 years yeah, at least. more. Yeah. As long as I can remember, and the federal government has just come around and said that it's okie doke to that it's a actual benefit to the plant, and the rest of the world has known that for ever. Yeah, and so there's that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's just when when the man doesn't understand, <laughs> they tend to not move, and so they're, they're going to keep things the status quo as best they can. Do you do you ship regularly to other states outside of Tennessee and Kentucky? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Well, that would make sense that you would want to make sure that your products are fully available and and how you get resistance from other states. It's it's kind of wild how each it's individually each state's different, but they tend to be a little strange. I don't. I can't. Sp I mean, from a business owner, I can imagine the difficulties and the and the hair pulling that you probably go through. <laughs> It's crazy. Um, they don't make it easy. Uh, but, again, if it was easy, every, that's one of my father's favorite sayings. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. Well, so what is – I mean, I, you're right. I, I wish – that's a saying that many people, you know, say, well, man, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it. I, I certainly understand that. What is, um, what is something that you sort of inspires you or, or keeps you motivated 
as long as you've been doing this? How, how, what, what sort of keeps the wheels turning for you? Honestly, I like having um, the, the I like having people realize that there are better ways to do things without having to um, uh, make it all about the money. Sure. Uh, so money's important, don't get me wrong, but um, having the success is more uh, important to me and having the, you know, the recognition of having done something and, and helped and benefited people with new concepts and ideas. Yeah. That's, I guess that's the biggest gratification that I get um, out of this. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your all's in, uh, involvement and what you like to do with the local. I mean, I've got my book bag from a while back that has y'all's logo on it. <laughs> I don't know how long that is ago, but you guys have always seemed to step up. I was on. I was the president for a couple of years in the Middle Tennessee chapter and been involved in in and out of that um, the board and had. And you guys have always been supportive. Talk about that. Talk a little bit about how you guys uh, see that as an important role. And I know it goes back to kind of building those relationships. It's what's been a common theme in this podcast is a lot of people talk about how it's a tight-knit group and it's a fraternity and you build good relationships. And and um, although people are selling different companies, maybe selling competing products and things like that, um, it's still a, a pretty pretty tight-knit group. So talk a little bit about how you guys like to help out, what what sort of things um, you got that you do, um, why, why that's important to you guys. So, honestly, the main reason why Sigma has done the sponsorships and has tried to make those uh, what, gifts um, and things like that is that we? I wanted to support the actual management of the organization and make them successful. Um, and I felt like um, they became more successful when their members recognize um, that they get you know nice things f- from going to these, attending these meetings and things like that, and to encourage them to come and be a part of and to participate. Um, it was, it's just one of those little carrots. So, hey, you know, if a guy, even for the wrong reason, comes and says, well, I want to come because I'm going to get a new cool book bag or whatever, I got him in the door. Yeah. That's the main purpose, and it makes that organizer successful. Uh, and in turn, it reflects back onto the organization because we are a part of that organization, and I want the organization to be successful. Mm-hmm. I've got other opinions on those things, but I don't want to go down that path right sure. now. But I think that we uh, have lost a little bit of that recently. I think that we are um, – I would like to have more of the the actual members be of a little bit more directive on how the organization is moving. Uh, and be a lot more uh, active in yeah. in doing their own testing and research and things of that nature, so that uh, it's a peer to peer situation. Um, I, you know, again, I don't want to be over influencing because of the uh, the companies that are involved in the organization. That's a a, a sli- slippery slope as well. Yeah, we want to dictate the people buy from us or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's um, the you can control your organization and get more benefit out of it if you trust all of the inputs or all of the people that are that are managing it. Yeah, and that's and I'm not saying there's bad management in the in the organization. I'm just simply saying we've kind of become uh, a little less collectively engaged. How about that? Yeah, I, I, now that I'm kind of on the outside, I'm still in the industry on the consumer side. Um, but I would say this, that I feel like, and you may be able to speak a little bit about this as being sort of a sponsor, is is that it's, it's not always easy. It, you're good. It's not always easy 
um, to see the, that that relationship going well, or there's some there's some distance between, say, the end user and the companies, and who's combining, and what the what the the overall benefits are, and what's the motives behind different things. And I found that it it's some it seemed to be sometimes sponsors, companies in general, wanted to see more effort out of the members and and different things and, and sort of taking ownership of it and pulling in you guys to sort of facilitate that and you seeing more action would would want you to get more involved, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yes, um, it does. Um, with it's, We know that it's necessary for money to be applied into research and the money's got to come from somewhere. Sure. And... I think that the industry, the the um, supply industry, and the the actual formulation uh, companies are willing to spend that money um, as long as they get a say or get to talk uh, or get exposed to the buying public. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, and and we want to facilitate the research that is going to be. Um, collectively beneficial to the entire group not uh specific to a certain comp you know industry or right. company specific just so that they can you know market their new weed killer or something yeah. um that's where i see things and and um there's a there's a need to support academia uh who also pulls on that pool of resources uh as well as the the actual people in the industry need to pull from the pool. pool. Yeah. Um, it seems that um, you can have anything uh, proven out as long as you have a big enough checkbook. Yeah. And that scares me with efficacy of results that you see out there in the field. Yeah. And uh, I have in recent time uh, toured test facilities that, um, we're literally bare dirt and you look down and you say, okay, what does bare dirt tell me? And they're, you know, it can't possibly prove efficiency of a, of a herbicide. Right. <laughs> unless you're <laughs> one of the bare, bare ground, you know, you're trying to take it to the bare ground, right. which is not what they were trying to accomplish. And yet they come out with favorable results, um, on, on their findings. And it, that to me is a head scratcher. Yeah. I, you know, again, keeping it vague enough to not point fingers, but. Um, it's crazy yeah. how uh, that would have never happened five years ago. Never, they would have closed the research and and closed the result and and just said no findings. Yeah. Instead, they published, and it was that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me. I'm sure that <laughs> that uh, it it tends to be um, something that it always is going to amaze me in this in this industry. We. We tend to battle things that are just like, well, okay, but um, you know, we we I know we appreciate you guys, companies uh, uh, from the years that I've been a superintendent and now a turf professional consultant. Um, you guys have been a huge supporter, and we pr appreciate that. And I don't, for any means, want you to come off as like you're against what's going on. I think you guys have been supportive. I don't I don't think you do. I'm just saying our 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 local and state chapter has been phenomenal. I, I think that it's always it's gotten better. Um, we've got great leadership. There's lots of good um, uh, sort of seminars that we've done. We put together a good group of people. I think it the guys are less apprehensive now to listen to a salesman just talk about his knowledge of what he has of a particular product than trying to feel like they're selling him something. And that's where we got away from because before, if, say, so-and-so from Company A was up there, well, we toned them out because we just thought they were trying to sell us something. Instead of realizing that, hey, they might have something to offer in terms of knowledge that we can learn from. Totally what um, our sales force and our sales efforts are reflective. I try to reflect that um, with Sigma yeah. and how we put our salespeople out there. Uh, don't get me wrong, we still need to make sales. However, our first and foremost objective is to benefit and to help 
our customers succeed and hopefully reciprocate from their success yeah. with our with success on our part. So do you go through a, a specific type of training or how do you do that with your sales guys as far as, cause I know like the guys I know, they've been doing it a long time. They're, they know a lot already, but how do you, how do they go through? So you know that they're going out and sort of portraying the right knowledge you want them to talk to customers about. Um, well, the guys that we have on board now are veterans, like you said, and yeah. they have been doing it for so long that they've basically, um, they've helped me to understand what the buying our buying public wants right. or needs, and uh, they've helped me to. And when when we did bring in people from fresh uh, non sales, uh, at that time I had a sales manager that actually taught those people how to sell. Uh, went through a a, a proper uh, sales, uh, campaign. And we will do that with our new guys coming on board, uh, to teach them the, the proper manner. And it's a science to presentation sales. Sure. Um, so that you accomplish your goals and you don't waste a lot of time, uh, of the buying customer and you also get them what they need. Uh, we don't advocate selling somebody something because it's on spiff. I've got a very big problem with yeah. um, salesmen that are motivated by, solely motivated by uh, what they call spiffs or special offers that they get rewarded for for selling a product. Right. I'm against that 100%. So how do you go about picking a pr product that you guys want to offer or sell? Does that, is there a particular process that thought process that you go through or do you rely on the sales guys to say hey we need this or this is what our customers are asking for a little bit of both of that yeah. actually uh, I do a lot of reading and um, I do a, like I said a lot of cross-market under uh, comprehension and so ag industry is years ahead of the turf industry as mm -hmm. far as technologies and uh, capabilities so I, I, I take a lot of information from that field, and uh, when I see a good product, I watch that AI until it becomes available in, in the turf market, and we'll launch on that. Yeah. Most importantly, we just look for the, we want, I want, or try to provide the most um, efficient, uh, and efficient is a very important word, product uh, available in the market so yeah. that we can sell that product. Um, we are not basic, and that means we don't sell Bayer, BASF, or Syngenta directly from those companies. We have to buy their chemistry um, sideways or through another uh, distributor, which doesn't make us um, as economically uh, benefited from selling those products. But if they are the best product, we will seek them out and make them available to our customers. Um, at, on the other hand, where products are just as good or are comparable to the chemistry, we, will, we, we gain access or direct access to those. We have a, um, so uh, that's kind of my history with um, what's now called QualiPro yeah. uh, product line. They have a large, array of, of chemistries the, throughout the, the industry, ag all the way through, uh, to turf and, and ornamental. Um, and we have found that their quality is superior to uh, um, a lot of the basic chemistry that's out there on the market. And so it's easy for us to migrate to that type of a company because they're easy to deal with us. So that's one way that we take products to the market. Um, yes, we do listen to the salespeople. We listen to our customers. Hey, I need a fix for this. Mm -hmm. And um, we will seek those uh, remedies out with the best chemistry that we possibly can, can find. And we, we try to bring it in-house. Uh, we do that monthly. Uh, yeah. It seems like, uh, as you can tell, we got a 60,000-foot warehouse chocker block full of products that are needed by our customers yeah 
I, I, I'm still totally blown away by what I saw out there. It's an amazing, impressive inventory, and I know a lot of it's already set to be delivered, but that you guys have a lot of stuff, and it, that's, uh, that's, that's great, and uh, it's good to see. And, and um, you know, I, I, being the first time I've ever been here, it was pretty, pretty cool to see. So what, what do you see the future looking like? And from maybe from a technology standpoint, chemistry standpoint, do you have any thoughts about that as far as maybe the next five or ten years? Well, I've just recently read uh, an, uh, a science uh, white paper and um, some really smart people have developed a gene that accelerates photosynthesis in a plant and makes it 30% more efficient. They did so in a tobacco plant uh, simply because the genes of a tobacco plant are easy to manipulate. Um, and in so doing, they caused that plant to grow with lower inputs at a 30% greater rate. And they feel confident that they're going to be able to take that technology and transpose it into other plants. Um, 30% is is crazy uh you, you, this is that would be in the category of a uh nuclear fusion yeah uh so uh technology and, and that exists here in the united states now they've proven it they've grown the plant and they've published that's where i see the future going um and with that comes more nutrient uh understanding and nutrient uh capability uh, for us to make our soils more efficient yeah kind of a uh, uh, but fundamentally that's going to be the important uh, product problem that we have to solve is we have to have um and the law of the least i think most agronomical people understand the concept of the law of the least being the least uh, available element is going to govern the plant's ability to grow right and as long as you can fulfill that obligation of the law of the least then you can have a complete plant growth efficiency well with this new gene technology that's going to be your limiting factor so understanding the importance of all traces and other minor elements in growth are what's going to dictate our future and yeah. it can be in the plant business or in the turf industry but more importantly in the agricultural industry well, that's certainly um, exciting and sounds like it'd be something that would uh, be beneficial and look forward to hopefully that see, being something that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I lean on guys like yourself to, uh, to sort of understand that and it sounds like um, the future is really cool in terms of what we're doing and, and um, you know, hey, we'll see. It'd be great, great things. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, it's at least, you know, a few years down the road, but um, when it does happen, people are going to yeah. step, step up and, re and realize that um, you can do a lot more with the ground that we're working with. Yeah. I'd love for this podcast to be more scientific, and I think that we that eventually some days I'll have conversations where you can deep dive into particular just like one particular subject. But you know, in terms of how I do things, I love to sort of gloss over things, and and we can always come back to them. And I think that's one that down the road you and I will get to come back to and say, hey, this is something we talked about, and where are we at with that, and in one of those unique situations because technology is here to stay. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's virtually in its infancy in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, it's going to change every, I, I, I find myself looking at trying to find a particular problem and, and solving it. And, and I don't really want to talk about something that I've had in the back of my mind on air, really necessarily. I'd probably talk to you off air about it because right. I don't want to give it away, but, but, um, but I do think that there's things in our industry that are particular problems that, need to be investigated and see if they're in, and I think through technology and some different ways of thinking about things that we're going to see some cool, neat things coming down the road. hundred percent. One of the, the other big issue is the water. Everybody has spoken about water and, uh, being a, 
uh, I wouldn't say it's a limited resource. It is a uh, resource that needs to be in the right place at the in the right condition uh, to be utilized. Sure. Um, so because it's plentiful, it's all over the world. It's just not in the right condition or, or place. So r- resolving those issues, uh, hence that's why we developed or created XMO to treat that problem, uh, to take care of water, bad water, yeah. which is the number one uh, plant health uh, issue in, in our turf yeah. market. I mean, if you can control the water and the condition that that water is in, you can generally grow a healthy plant. Yeah, we could go down a, a long rabbit hole of just the water, and especially in our area, about how difficult it is. I mean, whether you're putting in a spray tank or trying to manage irrigation water uh, over the top. I mean, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, that becomes a unique challenge in itself. And, you know, um, you see a lot more products addressing that, but still a lot of guys not really understanding the full potential if they get their water situations figured out they, that their grass is going to benefit or their plants or whatever they're managing is going to benefit a lot more. Yeah, they throw a lot of unnecessary uh, herbicides and fungicides down, uh, and it's simply a poor water problem. Uh, yeah. And that, in my, there again, there's an environmental, positive environmental impact that can be made from education yeah. and from understanding that how important clean water is. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought about um, that I always found to be a challenge, and I know I know this could be a longer conversation, but um, whenever I would get a soil report, a soil test report, I would see a lot of chemicals that were necessarily nutrients, I'd say, were in the soil that just weren't available. And I always felt like if I could solve how to get them available – and be able to be taken up by the plant, they're already there. Why am I applying more to do something? And I never could figure out or get a a solid answer as to what was the right way to go about that, whether it's, you know, it's tied up in the soil because of, you know, it's chemistry or if it's just not in solution. Uh, You know, so um, that seems to be a problem that, that should seem to be easily solved. And maybe it is. It just doesn't seem to be like one that, I've been, I have really satisfied answer on how to do it because why are we applying fertilizers if it's already there? That's what my point is, I guess. Right. Well, uh, again, availability and the plant's ability to uh, absorb those nutrients that are in the soil uh, are dictated by what it, the, what they call exudase that comes out of the roots that solubilizes those minerals. Sure and allows for it to be taken in. Um, you can kind of put it uh, in simple terms, the mortar that holds bricks together on a building mm-hmm. um, is ver- very much the same chemical or chemistry that holds nutrients in the soil. And as you that mortar that's, very, that's holding those bricks so tightly, it takes a lot of energy to, to pull a brick out yeah. of a wall same amount of energy would be required to pull a lot of those elements out of the soil. So you can do it, um, but many times when you denature the soil, which is what you're trying to release those elements and make them available, uh, it's a it's a degree of denaturing the soil. And again, this is all opinion by Paul Smith. But uh, <laughs> you have to use some harsh chemistry, which would norm would, would which would harm plants. Yeah. And uh, harm the soil's ability and the and the the flora and fauna that's in that soil. So it's a it's a it's a balance, yeah. obviously, in nature. And so um, that's how. Um, yeah, I do. I agree with you. In the future, those elements are going to become available through smarter chemistry, uh, and the plant is going to be able to utilize those elements in the soil much more efficiently uh, through genetics and smarter chemistry. Yep. So the world's headed in that direction. Um, 
just well, going to take some time. I hear you. Um, before we get out of here, I can't believe it's already been an hour, but um, I and I'd love and I, I can't wait to follow up on a lot of this stuff with you down the road. And, but what is something that you what what do you like to do when you're just not doing something at the office or here? You what? It's, so the number one thing that I like to do pro- is uh, travel. Yep. Uh, I like to see things and and uh, experience uh, cultures and uh, different, mainly the way people do things uh, in their own culture and in their own environment. Uh, learn from that. That's the number one thing. Um, I'm a bird hunter. I like to go quail and pheasant. And bird hunting, I have a bird dog. Nice. And um, so that's the other hobby that I like to pursue. Um, and I've got a, a place down in a little town called Hohenwald, Tennessee, that I go and sure. sit on a tractor and tear up the dirt and do stuff like that and have fun. Yeah. Well, Paul, I, I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting. This has uh, been you know, as always, these are very eye-opening, very fun to do, get to learn about you and uh, get to learn about the business side of, uh, of our industry. I think the content that we're producing is trying to open the eyes and get the voice of the our industry out there, some of the things that people may know, may not know. And, and so your insight and, um, and your uh, comments were, I really appreciate you sitting down. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Do you, uh, do you do any social media or anything like that? No. You, man, is it just because you don't want to? Uh, I, different era. Yeah. I, gr- I grew up without the cell phone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm completely content. I like email. Yeah. Email is fun. Well, folks, if you want to reach out to Paul, if you found any of this, um, I'm going to push it through social media. And I think y'all have an account like we, on you know, Sigma. At Sigma Organics, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. we do. We have all of that. And yeah. We got one of the uh, Chilton companies. They're big on the Facebook, I believe. Yeah. But that's, yeah. But personally, I just, I'm not there. Yeah. Well, you uh, if they need, they can call you here at the office or uh, email you. But uh, I'll push it out through social media. But uh, um, that's it, folks. We had a um, great conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, be sure that you tell people about it. Um Rate the show. Be sure to go subscribe. Um, we're growing faster than I could have ever imagined, and it's uh, something that I hope you're getting a lot out of. So until next time, thanks for joining. It's the end of the episode. Talk to you soon. See you.